Please be seated. And good morning, all souls. This past week, I had a mountaintop experience. As many of you might know, I'm a chaplain candidate in the United States Navy. And this past week, I was blessed to be able to spend a few days with reserve and active duty military chaplains serving in placements and commands all over the world. This international group met at Canuga Conference Center. Some traveled as far as 26 hours to get there. There were chaplains from Guam, from Bahrain. I was the envy of all as I had the shortest commute, <laughs> a mere 35 minutes. This was the first time our group of federal Episcopal chaplains had met in person since 2019. And it was a precious opportunity for many who often don't have the emotional support of a stable congregation like All Souls to come together and open their hearts. It was an opportunity to tell each other what they had seen in their sailors and soldiers and Marines over the course of the pandemic, how they had weathered a severe in increase in the cases of suicide in the armed services, how they struggled to maintain a positive outlook of the institutions that they served. There was loss, there were stories of divorce, stories of grief. There were some really heavy moments this past week. Tears were shed, hugs were given, Prayers were whispered in that tiny chapel in Canuga. But there was also laughter, deep laughter, and music, and revelry. The type of revelry and parties which only happen around close friends that haven't seen each other in many, many months. At the end of our week, at a closing service on Friday morning, we did what any inspired group of Episcopalians would do. We sang hymns. The voices of many came together, filling the space of that chapel one last time with a hymn that has been echoing in my head for the past 48 hours. Come thou fount of every blessing. You might recognize the last few lines of this hymn. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That hymn, those words, our voices joining together, it called us back. It reminded us that no matter who we were or what we had lost over the last three years, no matter how far we thought we had strayed or who we thought we had failed, there was a God holding us, embracing us, waiting at the gate for us, calling us home. The spiritual richness of that last week at Canuga and then the depth and compassion and love imbued in that hymn are also found today in the gospel lesson from Luke, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, many of you might know this story. A wealthy man has two sons. One stays and helps his family. The other goes out in dissolute living. And for this lost son, things only go from bad to worse. And he eventually finds himself broke, unemployed, jobless, and shamed. 
Jesus provides us with an important clue of just how bad things had gotten for this lost son. He tells us that in order to even feed himself, he is out working with pigs. Now bear in mind, all souls, that pigs ain't kosher. (laughs) Moses made that very clear. And so this Palestinian Jew must have truly hit on hard times to be herding swine. But the boy has a moment. He realizes his wrongs. He comes to himself and he returns home where he is met by his father. The fatted calf is slain. The nicest robe is rolled out. The finest ring is put upon his fingers and sandals on his feet. And yet amid all the festivities and the revelry, the righteous older brother, the brother who stayed, smolders in a corner, angry, confused, and bitter. I say this to my youth all the time when we talk about parables, and I'll say it to you this morning. Spoiler alert, if you haven't realized it or lived it already, soon you will realize the truth that you have been or will rotate through each and every character found in this parable this morning. You have been or will be the righteous older brother. You have been or might become the gracious father. And as much as you might try to avoid it, or ignore it, or perhaps try to hide it, you have been or will be the lost son, broken, jobless, living amongst swine, doing everything else but what God might have dreamed up for you. I want to ask you, all souls, who are you today in this story? Which character are you? Parables are helpful tools. They help us locate ourselves in this divine narrative. The word parable is Greek for something placed by the side of something else. Something placed by the side of something else. In other words, a parable is a human temporal method of talking about divine things. It's a human way of talking about kingdom things. And the good news coming out of this parable this morning is that as much as we feel drawn to locate ourselves within a certain character in the story, either brimming with righteousness or buckled by shame, the parable points us to something greater. It's a truth that we hear born on gospel hymns, a truth which declares that all humans, all humans are lost in sin, all of us indebted, all of us wandering far, far from the fold of God. All of us those drowning in the pits of dissolute living, those knee-deep in the pig slop of righteousness, we are all so prone to wander. And yet there is a God, our Father, who sits at the gate waiting for us, beckoning to us, affirming us that this kingdom story, it isn't about your sins or my sins. It's not about what you deserve or what I deserve. It's not about any of those things. Instead, it is about a God, that fount of every blessing, who offers us unconditional love even at our darkest moments. And there is no lack in that act. Theologian Rodney Clapp puts it best. Every time God's active, stretching, searching, healing love finds someone and calls that person home, it does not mean that there is less love for the rest of us. It actually means that there is more 
more love, more feasts, more revelry, more singing, more. Such acts of God constitute a scandal of grace. And what a beautiful scandal that is. Yes, God's grace abounds. It lives and breathes and moves among things that many might deem fallen or irredeemable or unforgivable. It is always present, breathing life into dry bones. Like Paul says, everything old has passed away. Everything becomes new. The spirit of forgiveness is always there. But it is here, all souls, at the delivery of this good news that I want to offer you this one word of caution. While God's grace forgives and embrace awaits us all, we should not live our lives as if our sins do not matter. God's forgiveness does not grant us the authority to just write a blank check on our sinfulness. Our actions matter. Our attitudes towards each other, our planet, our God, they matter. And when we do wrong, we must recognize that. Much like when the prodigal son realized he had gone astray, he recognized it. If you look back at the gospel passage with me, you will see that amid the hunger and the shame and the pigs, there was a moment of repentance, a moment of pivot, of transformation that occurred. Luke says, but when he came to himself, but when he came to himself, God's love for us is ever-present. But when God's love is acknowledged and met and returned, when we turn to ourselves, a transformational event can occur. What do I mean by that? My favorite theologian, Cynthia Rigby, puts it like this. Imagine that you love someone, your child, your sister, your brother, with a love so great that nothing can take it away, nothing, even the rejection of your love. And now imagine that this person is living their life completely unaware that you love them. You tell them you love them, you write them, you call them, but they still don't get it. Inside, deep down, you know that if this person only recognized this brilliant love, that their whole life would be richer for it, fuller. Imagine that your primary concern in proclaiming your love to this person is not to receive an I love you in return, although that would be nice, but rather your intent is for this person to truly know the gift of your unconditional love and all the blessings that go with unconditional love. Your love endures for this person whether they know it or not. It is constant. But what if, what if that person acknowledged your love? What if they embraced the knowledge of your love? In one sense, nothing would change, right? Your love for this person would stay constantly present. But in every other sense, every, everything would change because that person, once ignorant of your love, has been transformed by the knowledge that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you, can separate them from love. Imagine the joy you would feel in this. This is how God's love works in us and for us. God loves us unconditionally even when we turn from it, run from it, take everything, and abuse it. 
But when we, like that lost son, turn, when we pivot, when we come to ourselves and acknowledge that love, when we live into it, our lives, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we interact with our planet, the way that we interact with our bodies, it all is transformed. It is all made new. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering far from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. With the sun beginning to set on our Lenten journey, I bid you now, all souls, arise, come to yourself, return home. The road home may be perilous, but you can always ask a fellow traveler on the road for help. Come home, child. Your father stands at the gate. He is waiting for you, his arms outstretched, running to meet you. And in that love, in that scandal of grace, there is more, more, and more, and more. Come home, child. Amen.